Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to work our way through the book of Philippians for the next several several weeks. I would love it if in your own devotional time, you, you would read through the book of Philippians as well, and you'd be taking notes. Take notes in service. What verses is God speaking to you? What's coming alive as we work our th- way through these, verse, these chapters? What verses do you need to memorize? Do you need to meditate on? What's God speaking to you in your quiet time? Just for the next month or so, we're going to dig into the book of, the book of Philippians. This is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and he is writing this from prison. He's in prison, uh, more than likely in Rome, as he's writing this letter to, to the church in Philippi. Philippi was a Macedonian city. It was a Roman colony, and Paul had originally planted the gospel there. He's the one that, that started telling them about Jesus in the first place on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16, where Paul goes and starts to preach the, the good news there. And it's actually in Philippi that Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching the gospel and they're thrown in prison. And in the middle of the night, they start praying and singing hymns and they're worshiping the Lord. And then there's an earthquake and their chains are broken and everyone gets set free. You remember that story? That that happened in Philippi. So this is the city that he's writing to. And there's really no major issue as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. Some of the other letters that Paul wrote, he was addressing some, some big area of trouble or there, there's something going on that needs to be addressed, like he, when he wrote the letter uh, to the Galatians, that they were dealing with the issue of circumcision and Judaizers coming in and, and twisting the gospel and getting people off track. There was a major problem that he wrote that letter to address or the, the letters to the Corinthian church where he's addressing sexual misconduct and the way that they're using the gifts of the spirit and how it's, it's becoming divisive instead of unifying. So there's major issues. That's not the case with the Philippians letter. The church uh, in, in Philippi seems to be doing pretty good. Things are, things are going well, but he's writing to them to encourage them to keep going. Don't, don't plateau. Don't let off. Keep pressing in deeper into the things of, of God. In fact, our theme for this year, we want to press. We want to reach higher. We want to go further. We want to dig deeper. That, that comes from Philippians chapter 3 where, where he says, I press on to lay hold of all that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So that comes from this letter. So the Philippians church in a lot of ways reminds me of our church. It's really... No major issue. Think This is a nice church. Things are going well. We've got a bunch of great people. God has blessed us. No, no major issue or trouble that needs to be dealt with. But we, we don't want to plateau. We want to keep pressing in, reaching higher, going further. So we're in a similar situation to these Philippians that Paul is writing to in, in the first place. So here, here's what I'm going to attempt to do. We're going to read most of chapter 1 today. And there, there's so many great great verses and great nuggets. I just want to highlight a couple of them, but then attempt to bring it around to kind of an overall, an overall point uh, drawing out of, of this amazing, amazing chapter. So that's, that's the plan. Let's pray one more time and we'll start reading. Father, I love you so much. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us, come and speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, bless us with hearts that are like good, good fertile soil. Flood our hearts with light, revelation and understanding. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter one, we'll start in verse one. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So he starts off introducing himself. Hey, I'm writing to you guys. And then he says, he says, I pray for you guys all the time, and when I make my requests, I'm filled with joy. I make my requests with joy. Now, as we work our way through Philippians, joy is one of the major themes. As you read through it on your own time, pay attention to how many times you see the word joy or rejoicing. That's one of the dominant themes through, throughout this letter. And so we're able to glean insight. If you want to be a joyful person, if you want to be a man or a woman that's genuinely filled with joy, it, this is filled with insight. And those are some of the things we're going to try to draw out. And right off the bat, we're given one of them. He says, I make all of my requests with joy. Let me, let me read verse three again. It says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. What precedes joy? Before he talks about having joy, he talks about giving thanks. In order to be joyful, what you first need to be is thankful. People, people want to be joyful. You're wired to be joyful. God wants you to be happy and full of joy. But people get off track in the ways that they pursue happiness and the ways that they pursue joy. People think if I could just have this, if I could just own that, if I could just be with him, if I could just be with her, if I could just accomplish this, and they, they're pursuing joy, but that's not how you become joyful. Instead of trying to acquire more, if you want to be joyful, don't even worry about being joyful. Focus on being thankful. And if you can become thankful, then the joyful, joyfulness will come on its own. If you want to be joyful, don't work towards joy. Work towards being thankful. And joy is just a, a natural byproduct of being, of being thankful. Let me read verse 6 again. It says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So another key to joy is he's making requests. Usually when you're making a request, it's because something is lacking, something isn't right, something needs to be addressed. God, I pray you'd fix this. I pray you'd help her mindset. I pray you'd do this. He's making these requests, not wringing his hands. He's praying for these people and he's doing it filled with joy. How is he able to be filled with joy? First, to be thankful, but also because he has confidence in the faithfulness of God. We, we just heard a word about that a few minutes ago. God is faithful. And when you have a confidence in the faithfulness of of God, it allows you to be stress-free, anxiety-free, and filled, and filled with joy. When God begins something, he's faithful to bring it to completion. God didn't bring you this far to give up and get tired of dealing with you. He didn't bring you as far as you are to stop. He's not a God who gives up. In fact, Jesus taught this principle. He said, he said if, if you're going to build a building, 
If you're wise, before you start building it, you step back and you run some numbers and you figure out whether you're not you're going to be able to complete the project or not. Remember when he talked about that? And he said, if you realize that you can't do it, then don't even start it in the first place because you're just going to be a mockery that you took two steps and you couldn't actually finish the project. And he used another analogy. He said, if a king is going to go to war, if he's wise, what he'll first do is try to figure out how he stacks up against the other army. And if he realizes, I don't stand a chance. He needs to decide that ahead of time. Then, then fig, go to plan B. Figure something out. Don't go to war with that person. If he's wise, that's what he'll do. Now, if Jesus is teaching us those principles, it's fair to expect that that's the way that God operates. That he doesn't start something unless he knows he's got what it takes to bring it to full completion. So if God is involved in your life in any measure, it means that first of all, before, before you ever heard the gospel, before someone tried to lead you to the Lord, before you ended up here today, then God must have taken time to sit back and look at your situation and figure out whether he has what it takes to get you to be that man of God, that woman of God that you were destined to be, to reach your full potential. And if he had concluded, we just can't get him there, she'll, she'll never get to that level, then he would have never messed with you to begin with. But the fact that he's involved with you at any level, it means he's already thought it through and he knows he can get you where he wants you to be. He's faithful to bring to completion. If God is started, he's faithful to bring it, bring it to an end. And when you know that God is faithful that way, it brings, it brings joy. God is not a quitter. God is, God is faithful. Let's read the next couple of verses. So it is right, verse seven, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. He's talking about how much he loves these people. How much he loves his Christian brothers and sisters. I love you so much. You're so special to me. You have a special place in my heart. I long to be with you. Man, do I love you. And he starts off in verse 7 and says, this is the right way for me to feel. It's right that I feel this way. There is a special bond that happens in the body of Christ when you're working for a common purpose. When you're serving alongside one another. There are special relationships. It's, it's unique in the body of Christ, the fellowship we have when we work together and when we stay in relationship together, especially long-term relationship. When you keep those relationships in the body of Christ, it, it's only right, it's only natural that you've got this, this cherishing of those people the way that Paul is talking about. When people serve alongside one another in church, like, like is happening this morning, relationships are being built. When you sacrificially serve with other people, there's a unique bond that forms. I've talked to people that have, have become very close friends, and they'll tell you, man, we, we served at a VBS all week long. We just, we, we've been friends ever since. When we go to serve in a couple of weeks at Chestnut Mountain Ranch, there's going to be unique, special relationships that serve. The relationships we have in the body of Christ are unique, and they're special, and God blesses them when we stay on, when we're, we're united in purpose, serving alongside one another. That's why the enemy tries to divide us up. Keep people jumping from church to church. Long-term godly relationships are so precious and so sweet. Verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I want you to understand what really matters. Why does Paul want us to understand what really matters? 
I want you to understand what really matters so that you will live pure and blameless lives. If you understand what matters, there's a result to that. There's a fruit of understanding what really matters in this life. When you really understand the purpose that you have, the part that you play, how special you are, how gifted you are, how much God loves you, how you are a unique part in the body of Christ. You play a significant role in the kingdom of God. You're not just another pawn. God loves you. You're special. When you start to understand what really matters in life, there is a result. What happens? You'll live a pure and blameless life. So that helps us to understand when someone is not living a pure and blameless life, what's the problem? They don't understand what really matters. They're lacking understanding in what really matters in this life. So if there's an area of sin that you haven't given up, that you struggle to give up, that you keep falling back into, you you don't understand what really matters. You're off, you're deceived, you're, you're not seeing things clearly. When you see, I want you to understand what really matters so you'll live pure and blameless lives. Verse 12, this is where I wanna start focusing on, on the main point today. Verse 12, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So he's writing the Philippians, and one of the things that he's addressing is what they've heard about them, so he's catching them up to speed. You've heard that I've been thrown into prison. Again, he's he's writing this from from a prison in Rome. He's in chains. So you've heard about that, but listen, the way that it's worked out, it's actually pretty cool. What's happened, yes, I'm in jail, but you don't need to worry about me. It's worked out so that actually the gospel is continuing to spread. All of the soldiers, the palace guard, knows that I'm here because of Christ. People are becoming more emboldened to preach the gospel. So I'm in prison, yes, but it's actually, it's pretty awesome what's going on. That's how he's reporting back. Now, just as a side note, what is Paul in prison for? Preaching the gospel. What is he doing while he's in prison? Preaching the gospel. So he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And while he's in prison for preaching the gospel, he's spending his time preaching the gospel. So this is important, especially over the last year and a half, because there's been sort of a dividing point in the church on how we respond to mandates and shutting churches down and all those kinds of things. Because there's one camp that wants to honor the government. We're supposed to do what we're told, and they've got scriptural backing for that, and we should honor the government. But you can see from this passage and others like it, that there is a point where obeying the government and obeying God, that those things converge and you've got to choose one or the other. So it's not just blind following whatever the government tells us to do, that that's exactly, close the church down, jump through all these hoops. We don't just do exactly what the government tells us when it conflicts with what Jesus has instructed us to do. So Paul, is a, this is a great example because he's in prison for preaching the gospel and he doesn't say, well, I learned my lesson. Man, I defied the government. That was a mistake. He's doing the very thing that landed him in prison in the first place. That's how he's spending his time there. So he's in prison and he says, yes, I'm in jail, but you know what? It's actually, things are going great because the gospel is advancing. Let's read the next couple of verses. Verse 15, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. 
They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. So he says, yes, I'm in prison, but actually things are, it's pretty cool because the gospel is advancing. And then he brings up this other situation where people are doing things intentionally to make his chains more painful. They're persecuting him. They, they want to make his life as miserable as possible. And somehow he views the situation and says, but you know what? You know what's really cool about that is that either way, either way, the, the gospel is being preached. So I'm, I'm rejoicing about it. They're trying to make me miserable. But you know what? I'm actually pretty excited about it because more people are having the opportunity to hear, about, to hear about Jesus. Let's read the next couple of verses. Starting in verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue, that I continue to live. So now he's talking about the situation he's in, and he's not sure if they're going to kill him or not. They, they might execute me. I'm not sure how this thing's going to end up. But you know what? I can't decide how I want it to end up, because actually I get to die. I get to live. They, they both sound pretty cool. That's, that's his perspective on this situation. He's looking at, he's presented three situations that it would be very easy to be discouraged about. It'd be very easy to be sad about. It'd be very easy to be frustrated about, depressed about, want to give up, despair about, anxious about, stressed about. I've been thrown in prison, but you know what? It's actually, it's great. People are persecuting me and trying to make things painful for me, but you know what? I'm actually rejoicing about it. I might die but I kind of want to. I'm not sure what I want to do. I'm like, uh, you know, kind of waiting to see what they're going to do with me. And I, I, I could live or die. I could actually see the, the pros on, on either side. He's got this unique perspective that circumstances aren't able, aren't able to pull him down and depress him. He, there's something going on in Paul's life that he's, he's got something that lifts him beyond the circumstances that no matter what's going on, he's got stuff going on in his life that's far worse than anything you've got going on in your life, but he is still full of joy. He's got a smile. We might kill you. All right. That'd be cool. He's able to find the joy in every, in every situation. So one of the things that that lets us know is that your circumstances really aren't ultimately responsible for whether you are happy or not. When you look at life and I've got this going on and I'm, I'm, you, you have to bear with me, I'm just really depressed because this happened at work this week. You know what, my, my finances are in a bad situation so you have to excuse me if I'm a little short with people. Listen, th you can have what Paul had that lifts you above circumstances even if you're in chains with people trying to make those chains worse and they're debating, debating on whether they're gonna cut your head off or not. You're sitting there whistling with a smile on your face. You've got something that has buoyed you above the circumstances. What was it that Paul had that these circumstances they just couldn't touch him. He was always full of joy. Paul had purpose. Paul had purpose. And purpose provides joy. People need purpose. You were made to live with a purpose, a meaning, not just wandering around on earth trying to figure out what, what to do with yourself, but to have a purpose. When people have purpose, it gives them meaning. It gives them direction. 
It gives them motivation. It helps them know how to set their priorities in life, what things to do and not do, how to use their resources. It is a blessing to have purpose. When people don't have purpose, they're miserable. They, they squander their lives. But it's not, just, it's not just any purpose. Paul's purpose was to glorify Christ and to advance the kingdom of God. Verse, verse 18 is he's talking about being in prison. I'm sorry, verse 12, he says, everything has happened to me here, but the gospel, the, the good news continues to spread. Verse 18, as he's talking about people trying to make things worse for him, he says, that doesn't matter because the message of Christ is continuing to be preached. So either way, I continue to rejoice. When he's talking about whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die, he says, I just want whether I live or die that I would glorify Christ. That, that was his purpose, to glorify Christ, to be pleasing to Jesus, and that more people would be brought into the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. He was sold out to that purpose and it worked to lift him above situations. So people, people can live for purposes, but if it's not the right purpose, then it's just a, a waste of your life and a waste of your time and a waste of your effort. Some people, their purpose is to acquire a bunch of stuff, to be financially secure. Some people, their purpose is to retire or to retire early. Some people, their purpose is to take great vacations. There's nothing wrong with any of these things, by the way. Some people, their purpose is to get married. Some people's purpose is to have children. Their purpose is to have grandchildren. All kinds of different purposes. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but those are all circumstantial. Those all make great circumstances, but very lousy purposes. Because when those, are your, when those become your purpose, then you are at the mercy of whatever's happening to you and whatever's going on, whatever's going on around you. If your purpose is to, I want to retire early or I, I want to pay off the house. And again, those, those are fine goals, but not good purposes to devote your life to. This is the aim of my life above everything else. This is what I'm working for. You, you've got to have a purpose that has the ability that's so great that it rises above circumstances and circumstances can't reach you, can't reach you any longer. Paul, Paul had a purpose that was so great that they couldn't touch him. We're going to make things really hard for you. That's all right. My purpose wasn't to have things easy for me, so you, that's not going to affect me. My, we're, we're, we might even kill you. Okay, okay. He, had, he had a purpose. You, you couldn't shake him because his purpose was unshakable. When it's tied to circumstances, it's easy to, pe people just rise and fall depending on what's going on around them. He had a joy. This is like worst possible situation in a dungeon, chained up, people being mean to you and they might kill you. That, that's like the lowest of the low. And he's able to have joy in that situation. It's a witness to you and I that whatever's going on around us, if we'll allow the purpose of Christ to become our purpose, it'll lift us above those situations and, and circumstances. He served his purpose, and th this is what happens when you serve that kind of purpose, that that purpose begins to serve you. We read that verse earlier. It says, I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters so that you'll live a pure, a pure and blameless life. Pure and blameless means you're right on track. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. You're blameless. There's nothing, there's nothing to find fault with. That's the result of knowing what really matters. So when you know what really matters, the kingdom of God, I need to seek it first, make it my primary concern to lift up Jesus and to live in a way that is pleasing, pleasing to him. You know that if you've been in church any amount of time, you know that's the right answer to these questions. But when you really understand it and commit yourself to it, you commit to that purpose and serve it and then it begins to serve you. I want you to understand what matters and if you'll do that, commit yourself to what matters, 
you'll live a pure and blameless life. It'll begin to serve you, keep you on track, keep you out of trouble, become a guiding point for your life. Paul, Paul dedicated himself genuinely to the cause of Christ and serving Jesus and advancing the kingdom. That, that was his concern. And it began to serve him by lifting him up so people couldn't shake him, people couldn't move him, people couldn't discourage him, people couldn't depress him, people couldn't anger him. He, he was just walking in the joy of the Lord because purpose, that kind of purpose brings joy. You're going to surrender to something. You'll either surrender to circumstances or you'll surrender to a cause and a purpose that is so great that it lifts you above circumstances and situations. To live for Jesus. The first thing we need to do if you want to live for Jesus and serve his purposes is you need to let go of your own. You need to sacrifice your own purposes even if there's nothing wrong with them, say, Jesus, instead of my life being about making myself really comfortable, getting myself in a good financial place, making sure that I, I enjoy all the pleasures that I've always wanted, instead of that being my purpose, I'm gonna lay that aside. Here's my purpose. To glorify Jesus. I'm gonna make that my genuine purpose. The first thing you need to do is sacrifice to sacrifice your own. Paul said, I want to read it in the New King James Version. New King James, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. You know this verse. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. He's talking about his life being entirely about Jesus. For me to live is Christ. In fact, in the, in the New King James Version, it's not there the way you'd read it right out of the Bible, but the word is is in italicized. It's italicized. So when you read the New King James Version, whenever a word is in italics, it means that it isn't really there in the original language. They just add it in to make it a little smoother reading. So what it really says, for, for me to live, Christ. For me to live, Christ. He, Paul was so committed to the cause of Christ that he's able to, to utter these statements that, that almost don't even make any sense. For me to live, Christ it was all about Jesus, his identity, his purpose, his motivation, his desires. It was so centered on Jesus that he was able to say, for me to live, Christ. It's all about Jesus, that Christ is life. If it wasn't, if it wasn't Christ, then it wasn't really living. For me to live, Christ. To live, to live, Christ. Think about that statement. To live, to live, Christ. It's almost like he's giving us an equation, like he's using the word Christ as a, as a verb. If you want to live, you want to really live, you want to experience true life and joy to live, you know what you need to do? To live Christ. It's like instructions. To live Christ. You, you need a Christ, like it's a verb. I'm gonna, I'm gonna strive to be so much like him. I'm gonna work to please him. I wanna strive to honor him. I'm gonna develop myself more and more in his image. It's all Christ. That's how you really live. If you want to live, if you wanna walk in that kind of joy, you gotta surrender everything else and say to live. It's all about Jesus. Everything I do, I want it to glorify Jesus. As I'm raising my kids, as I'm talking to my spouse, as I'm going to work, how I handle my finances, everything I do, it's all ultimately about Jesus. To live, I'm going to work to be as much like Jesus as I can be. It's like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When you make you your purpose, that's how you lose your life. But if you will surrender to Jesus, genuinely surrender to him, you can take my life. And that, that surrender begins to serve you because then you find, you find purpose. You find joy. But first you have to lay your purposes down. Jesus, you can have my life. You can have my, my goals and my dreams. I give them all to you. What do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? You lay your life down and then that's how you find real purpose. So it's like cyclical. You serve the purpose and the purpose serves, serves you makes your life valuable, makes it the thing that you've been looking for all along, real joy and real, real life. To live, to live is Christ, to live Christ. What are you living for? Really, really. I, I know you wouldn't put down to be comfortable. That wouldn't be like your purpose statement. That would be like hanging on the wall in your house or just dollar signs, to have nice vacations. You wouldn't say that, but you can examine the way that people live and all, that's, you'd have to conclude that's their purpose in life. That's what they're working for. That's all they talk about. That's all they think about. That's all they plan for. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but what, what are you ultimately living for? What is your purpose, really? What are you living for? It's important to know what your purpose is. So generally, all of us, our purpose should be to honor Jesus. You know, that, that's why you were made. That's why you're here. If you want to find fulfillment, you need to do the thing that you were designed to do. Let, let me read to you from Revelation chapter four. It says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. All things, he created everything. That includes you and me. Why did he create them? What is the purpose? To please him. So if you are living to please you, then you're not going to find fulfillment in your purpose, in your assignment, because you were created for his pleasure, to please him. All things were created to please him. That, that is your purpose. So the moment you start working to please you, to please your spouse, to please your family, you've stepped outside of ever finding fulfillment because that's not what you were made to do. The only way you can find success is to know what your original assignment was. Even if what you're doing looks good to the naked eye, if that wasn't your assignment, you could be a complete failure and never find fulfillment. If the mailman just goes around all day and repairs people's air conditioners, that's nice, there's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't his assignment. That wasn't his job, so he's a failure. His job was to deliver the mail. And if the air conditioner repairman goes around stuffing stuff in mailboxes, that's fine, but he's a failure because that wasn't his assignment. You need to know what your purpose is, what your assignment is, so that you can find fulfillment. And generally speaking for all of us, it's to glorify Christ and to bring him pleasure. And then after that, after we make that decision, Jesus, I surrender my purpose. It's all about you to live, to live Christ. I'm going to find life by making everything about Jesus. Then you can start examining what, what specific role do you play? Because we're all different parts in the body of Christ. There's eyes and ears and hands and feet and livers and lungs. We're, we all have different roles working for the, same, for the same purpose, right? All different parts of the body. So what role do you play? Do you know? Maybe, maybe you do know. Let me give you just a few just easy questions to ask yourself, just 
very simple, to start refining and getting clear on what is your purpose? Why are you here? And it's important that you know it. It's important that you live with purpose. Because Paul was an apostle. Not, not everybody's an apostle. So you, you have a different role to play. You can't just copy somebody else. You've got to find out what is your assignment? What is your purpose? How does God want to use you uniquely to glorify, to glorify Christ? So you can write these down. Questions, questions to consider. And I would encourage you to write the question down. And then in the coming week, take time to answer the question. Sit down with a notebook and actually pray and think it through. First one is, what is your potential? What, what is your potential? By potential, I mean you're, the things that you're just naturally good at. You're inherently good at these things. It's just, it's just natural to you. you. Some people, they're just, I've always been good with numbers. You know, it, just come, it comes so easy to me. Or I, I'm, just, I'm just great with people. It's just really easy for me to talk to people. And it's just a natural gifting that you have. Because not, not everybody has that gifting. You know what? I'm, I've always just been really organized. I'm very administrative. Even when I was a kid, man, my toys were all organized and I had everything in its right, right, right place. So how are you just naturally gifted? Some people are naturally gifted in, in music or, or in, in writing and those kinds of things. How are you just, think, something that's just come so easy, it doesn't, doesn't come easy like that for everyone. That's special. God's made you uniquely and he's the one that decided that you would have those gifts. What happens is sometimes you, you just assume that everyone is like that because that's the way that you've always been. No, you're special the way that you like numbers. That, that's not everybody. No, you're special the way that you can play music like that. That's not everybody. That's a special gifting, the way that you're able to relate to people and you're social and you, you can make a friend anywhere you go. No, that, that's special. That's a gifting. It inherently comes, comes from God. So what are your natural giftings? And along with asking yourself, what is my potential? What, what are the opportunities that are just because of who you are and where you are, doors that are open. What are those opportunities? Just because of where you live or the connections you have, what are those natural opportunities? So what, what is your potential? The next question to ask yourself is what is your passion? What's your passion? What do you just like doing? You just enjoy it. You think, it, you think it's fun. You would do it. If, if you could do it for a living, you'd do it even if you didn't get paid for it. You just love doing it. When I was in, in college, Beth and I went to this small church and they started talking about wanting to have a youth pastor or someone to minister to some of these junior high kids that were starting to come into the church and want to have a little youth group. So I went to the pastor and I, I talked to him. I, I wanted the job. I wanted to, you know, here's what I'll do. I'd start coming on these nights and we could do these kinds of activities with the kids. He said, well, it, it pays zero dollars. I'll take it. I want the job. I just, I wanted an opportunity. It was just a passion. It wasn't about money to me. I want to be in a situation, a position where I can help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. It was just, just a, a desire. It wasn't about, uh, I think I could make a buck or two doing this. I, I don't, I, no money. I don't care. That, that's what I wanted to do. Pastor Jonathan is gifted in a, a variety of ways and can minister in all kinds of ways. But one area is he is a worshiper. He is, a, he is a phenomenal worship leader. He's, he is a worshiper. So what, what are, what's your potential? He's got the giftings. He has the inherent abilities to be a great worship leader. He can play, he can play all the instruments. He can play drums, piano, guitar, whatever. I think he can even yodel sometimes. So he can do it all. He's got, he's got the giftings, but he also has the passion to do it. Something paid, not paid, just... 
He seems just to love to do it. I haven't asked him. I've drawn this conclusion myself. He seems just to love to sing and worship the Lord because it's hard to catch him not singing. My office is right next to him. I pass him in the hall all the time. I, I see him every day. It's hard to catch him not singing. Up and down the hall, just always singing a worship song. It, it's, just, it's, it's natural. It's not, well, I'm not on the clock, so I, I don't sing unless I'm, you know, it's, it's go time on the platform. No, he's always just singing. He's accidentally a worship leader. He'll walk down the hallway worshiping, just singing a song. It'll get in my head, and I'll be in my office and start singing the song. Where, where did I pick up this song? I just passed him at the copying machine, and now I'm in my office. He's accidentally leading worship wherever he goes. It's just a passion. It's not just a, a career. It's not just something to, to pay for his, his mortgage. It's a passion of his. What are you passionate about? I'm using you know, ministry examples because that, that's what, what I have and what I know. But there's something that you love to do. Maybe it's not what you're doing, but what is, you, man, you do it for free. You do do it for free. We're talking about discovering your purpose. What is your potential? What are you passionate about? And the third question, what causes you pain? Your potential? your passion, your pain. What causes you pain? What, what irritates you? What upsets you? What frustrates you? Maybe it doesn't frustrate other people. Man, it drives you crazy. Now, maybe you're just an irritable grump. We gotta, we gotta consider that possibility. But maybe, maybe that's an area that God wants to use you. Maybe it irritates you so much because God, God wants you to be the solution to that problem. And other people, they seem oblivious to it. You, you thought the service in that restaurant was great? You honestly thought that was, that was good? You thought that food was great? Or you thought that, you know, whatever it happens to be, that people, people don't see it the way that you see. There's something about it. You know it could be better. You could see it being, being better. Maybe that irritation, that pain, is somewhere that God, God is trying to prod you and poke you and trying to get you to be a solution to the problem. What's your potential? How has God just gifted you? What opportunities are there around you? What are the passions that you have? Things that you just want to do, you love, you just genuinely, it brings you joy to do it. It's not a burden. You love to do it. Because pe people have, again, people assume whatever brings them joy brings everybody joy. You saw that lobby a couple of weeks ago. All decorated. I mean, there's so, so, to me, that would be torture. To spend, to spend two weeks decorating that lobby, I'd rather be next to Paul in a, in a dungeon somewhere. <laughs> but other people, I mean, they're, they're like, hey, how soon can we start doing this? How, when can we get the lobby and start hanging stuff all over the walls? We've got some great ideas. That, that's their, they, they just want it. It's their passion. People have different passions. Pay attention to those things. When I first became the youth pastor here, moved here from, from Delaware, I was, I was insecure because I assumed everybody wanted that job. So it made me a little standoffish with some people. I assumed, every, why wouldn't everybody want to be the, the youth pastor here? It didn't make any sense to me. I assumed everyone was like me. Pay attention to the things that you want to do, the desires, the dreams that you have. Don't assume that everyone's like that because that's the way God has uniquely molded and shaped you. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to travel to Africa? That's not everybody, that, no, that's you. Why do you want to spend time with troubled teenagers? Why do you want to, to listen to people's problems and try to give them counsel? Not, not everybody wants to do that. It might be the Holy Spirit stirring something on, on the inside of you. What's your potential? What, what is your passion? 
What causes you pain? What irritates you? Find out your purpose and then develop it. Read books about it. Get around people that are better at it than you. Develop that. Use it to serve. Find, I've got this gifting. Don't just sit on it till it's some shiny finished product. Begin to use it to serve in the body of Christ. Use it to be a blessing to somebody else. Start to develop it by using it and refining it. Serve. Let, let me read one more verse and then we'll, then we'll pray. I read it earlier. Verse 14 says this, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Because something terrible happened to me, I'm in prison now because of preaching the gospel. Something unique happened. He says, other people now are preaching without fear and with confidence and the message is advancing. A few years back, my wife and I were watching a movie about King David, and it was, it was a Christian, Christian movie, and you know how it can be sometimes when you're watching a Christian film, and if you let yourself, you can, you know, these low-budget movies, they're trying their best, God bless them, but you know, they're just subpar sometimes, and you can let yourself slip into like this critical attitude as, as, you're, as you're watching yeah, me neither, but my wife gets really critical. I'm with, I'm with you guys. But you can, you can watch some of these Christian movies and you're noticing the bad acting. And if you can let yourself kind of get in critique mode where you're just, you're just picking out all the faults and all the flaws and rolling your eyes, how cheesy some stuff comes across. And you, you know what I'm talking about. Or some of these, so we're watching this movie on King David and I've kind of allowed myself under her influence to slip into this critical, this critical mode where I'm just... I'm not even really enjoying it. Now I'm just enjoying being like the expert, like, oh yeah, right, like that ever happened. You know, you're just like picking it apart. And it's a story of David and they get to the point where David comes to visit his brothers and he's bringing the cheese and the bread and, and it's the time where Goliath comes out and he taunts the armies of Israel and so they're, they're showing what's going on and all, all the, the soldiers are running back to their tents, just like the Bible says. They're running back and saying, have you seen the giant? Have you seen the guy that comes out to taunt us day and night? He tells us he sent out a challenger and so all these men are running back like, like cowards and I'm watching these actors act afraid and run back. Then you know the story. David goes and he talks to King Saul, goes out, fights Goliath, defeats him. And then the Bible says that the Israelites then pursued the Philistines and started just destroying them. Chased them. I forget the names of the towns. It tells us several towns that are miles and miles apart. They're just chasing them from one town. I mean, the, the, for miles, the, the road is just strewn with bodies and wreckage of the Israelites. I mean, they're just taking it to the Philistines. So I'm watching it, and I'm noticing some of the actors, and I thought I caught a flaw. Okay, low-budget movie, classic. They're reusing characters because these brave warriors that are going out and screaming, and now they're mighty and they're fearless. I recognize that guy. That, that was one of the cowards from earlier. So you're, you're trying to use people twice, but I caught you. You're, you I, I see these guys. Those are the guys that you used as the, the scaredy-cat people that ran back to their tents. And then I realized that's actually how it went. The same people that were running back to their tents as cowards, those were the same men. That was the same army. The same guys, they had the potential all along to be destroying the Philistines and laying waste to them and chasing them from town to town. The, the same guys that were the cowards in one moment, a few moments later, are the mighty warriors that are charging and advancing and just take, taking territory. What happened to transform these people? Well, you had one man who knew his purpose 
that he got, he knew he wasn't just a cheese delivery man. And he wasn't worried about circumstances and what's going on. He got there and he heard someone defying God. He knew his purpose is to honor God. Oh, but you don't understand. He's really big and he's really strong and he's spears like the shaft of a weaver's beam or, you know, all the stuff that it tells us about him. That's not my concern. My purpose isn't stay safe. My purpose isn't do what's best for me. My purpose is to honor God. And in this situation, I can't let that man run his mouth. One guy said, forget circumstances. My purpose isn't keep me comfy. My purpose is to honor God. So I, I don't have a choice. I've got to shut this man up. That's the only thing I can do according to my purpose. One man said, forget circumstances. I'm going to live with the purpose of honoring God above everything else. And it inspired others. The same people that were cowards were turned into these mighty warriors because one person said, I don't care. I'm living according to the purpose that God has called me to. That's what happens in the body of Christ. If we had five, 10, 15 men and women, they would say, I don't care about circumstances anymore. I don't care about what everyone else cares about. I don't care about my social media account and what people are saying and just being financially secure. I just want one thing above everything else. I want to be used to glorify Jesus. What would happen is you would change others around you from being cowards that shrink back into people that are right behind you charging along. Billy Graham said, when brave men stand up, it it stiffens the spines of others. That that courage is contagious. When you start standing, I I, I don't care about that. That, that, I'm not here long anyway. While I'm here, I'm going to glorify Jesus with everything that I have. That doesn't put you in a position to be sad and depressed, but I'm living for him. Paul's showing us the opposite. When you live with purpose like that, it lifts you above circumstances and you become full of joy. Whatever The Bible asks that question over and over and over again. It must be a good question. What can man do to me? What, what can man do to me? What can you possibly do? Now, if you're going by circumstances, there is a lot they can do to you. But if you attach yourself to a purpose that's great enough, there's nothing they can do to you. I I just want to honor Jesus. You can't stop me from doing that. Live, die, it doesn't matter. I just want to honor Jesus. You begin to live this life full of joy, and the things that other people are pursuing, the Bible says, begins to pursue you when you make the kingdom of God your primary concern. All these other things will be added unto you. They're not bad things. God wants you to have them as long as you're on track and you're seeking, seeking him first. Amen? Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.